Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we get to spend time with Andy Sikora, who is the leader of something called Renew Communities in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, called Berea. And they've been at this for a number of years, extremely productive, exciting things going on there. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks for having me, Ralph. It's really a, a privilege to get to chat with you today. Thanks. So I'd like you to, you know, I, I always kind of like to hear people's backstory. So tell us a little bit about how you came to faith in Jesus and and then how you ended up in the ministry and, and the genesis of the church that you lead. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, uh, I became a Christian really young, five years old, I remember. Uh, my mom and dad, my dad grew up in a, a Christian household. His parents were um, caretakers at a church in St. Louis, Missouri. So they, he grew up going to church all the time, cleaning and being there whenever it was open. Um, and my mom grew up Catholic in St. Louis. They got married, moved to Wyoming, which is where I was born. My mom would tell you she came to faith in Jesus uh, in the middle of the night when I was uh, keeping her up as a baby, you know, and uh, she would turn on televangelists. And uh, I guess, you know, that was like probably 79, 80. It was the only thing on in the middle of the night. And she actually came to faith watching Jim Baker and <laughs> Tammy Faye. So uh, my mom became very passionate about her faith and grew a lot in her faith and would just talk to me about her faith as she was growing. And so what she was learning, she would explain to me as a child, I'm sure in, in very like, you know, appropriate ways for a child to learn. But, you know, I had a, a, a desire to, to know God early in my life. And I remember praying uh, some version of a five-year-old sinner's prayer kind of thing on my back porch in Dallas, Texas. We'd moved down there when I was five, eating a great popsicle. And, and I've just always I mean, my mom was very passionate about discipling me as a kid, my brother too. And I've always um, loved Jesus. I've grown up, you know, studying his word and, um, you know, all the way through. And when I was 12, I felt called to ministry and thought it'd be youth ministry and always just kind of knew this was a path I was going to walk. We moved to Northwest Ohio. So we went from Dallas, Fort Worth to this small town up in, in Ohio. And it was a very different um context. Uh, you know, everybody was a Christian in Dallas. That's obviously not true, but that's what it felt like in, in uh, Brian, where I grew up. I mean, there were Christian kids, but there was a, it was a very subdued faith compared to like a very outward faith in the, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. And the Lord used me in a lot of ways, taught me a lot about like um, inviting friends to church, inviting friends to Christian community um, starting, you know, looking back now, I was doing a lot of like building and starting um, friendship, relational evangelism kind of stuff uh, as a high school kid. And I struggled a lot with depression in high school. And so I probably had a pretty low self-esteem, which uh, made me probably not notice the way God was working in my life as much. But looking back, I go, wow, that, that, that was kind of like church planting <laughs> in high school or whatever, you know, just some of the things that I'm doing now. And so um, I, yeah, that was, that's my upbringing. I had a very, a, a very, um, sure thought that going into ministry was what I was going to do from the time I was in middle school on. Wow. That's a, that's a little bit like me. I, I came to faith when I was five and, uh, I knew I was called to be a pastor by the time I was six and I hated the idea. And huh. so I, I lived a real shabby life until, you know, I, I, I went to church 
actually loved the Lord, but I, I just couldn't put it together until I would actually give in and obey. Yeah. But, uh, you know, things unwind from there. God has his ways in our lives. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how the church got going and, you know, what, what happened? Yeah. So uh, we started Renew Communities in 2011. Um, I, I graduated from college in 2001. We got married in 2002. I was trying to find a youth ministry job couldn't find one. And I had been working at a camp and had a connection with a pastor who was starting a church over in Indiana in Fort Wayne uh, called Pathway Community Church. And uh, I kind of said, hey, we're going to come and be a part of your church. You don't have to pay me, um, but I want to work with youth and you need a youth pastor. So I started doing that. And he was very cool. To, I, I mean, it's kind of hard when you're starting a church, you don't say no to things like that, right? All right. Even if you wanted to. Uh, and so we were part of this church for three years over there and uh, watched it grow. I learned a lot in that time. We moved over to Cleveland. I worked for a Southern Baptist church over here um, in young adult ministry. And the lead pastor there had planted that church. He was from the South. He moved up to Cleveland to plant 20 years before I started working there. And um, he just had a heart for Cleveland. He wanted to plant churches and uh, he was a very kingdom minded guy. And so um, at the time I was in grad school, I was going to school in um, Portland in a hybrid program. And Alan Hirsch was one of my professors. Huh. And he talked, it was the first time I heard anybody talk about um, the 60% who were opposed to church. And, um, and I was thinking a lot about how much work we were doing to try and get people to come to church. Uh, how cool we were. I mean, really like relevant, not like, not like cheesy, but like how we were working so hard to be relevant, to appeal to the masses, to get people to come to church. And Hirsch sat there, sat there and told us, hey, you can work hard and every church in your community can work hard, but you're still only going to reach the 40% who are willing to go to church. And it just really burrowed into my heart. Like, how are we going to, if people aren't going to come to church, how do we get the church to go to them? You know, how do we get the church to go to them? And I came home from that time in classes and I would just go through my neighborhood, my community, go to the gym, go to the grocery store. I'd see all these people. I'd see the same people in all these places. And, uh, and, and often on Sunday mornings, I didn't have to be at church because I was doing stuff on Sunday nights. And I'd be like, these are the 60%. These are the people who aren't coming to church no matter how cool. And I, my church, was the, we were working, I was 20 minutes away. I was never going to get anybody to drive 20 minutes to come. Uh, even if I told them it was cool, you know? <laughs> and so from there, it just, God really started working on my heart um, about like, what are we going to do? I mean, I was kind of like, what are we going to do? And I felt like he was saying, Hey, let's just, this is it. This is what I've called you to. And the lead pastor at that church, his name was Rick Duncan, who had planted that church. He was very supportive. I mean, he still is still a good friend and supporter of me. And he's a, uh, he's almost 70. He's still working with um, in ministry, discipleship, leadership development, but he, he wanted, he did everything he could to support us as we, as we went out, even though kind of my, my philosophy of ministry, it wasn't a critique on his, but he could have seen it that way. You know, like your way is the old way. My way is the new way. And that's not how, wasn't my heart and he didn't receive it that way, but I know a lot of pastors who would have. That's interesting because there, there is a, a certain uh, level of tension in the church right now. Um, you know, we're, we're moving from the old scorecard of how many people can we get in our chairs 
to a new scorecard of how many disciples can we make out there and mm -hmm. and how many mm -hmm. disciples are making disciples and, mm -hmm. and there is this tension that that goes on unfortunately because what we're doing is going back to the old way not the yeah new we're, we're going back to yeah. seeing the word so how, how did you guys get started what did you do to to start because you, you obviously started a little differently yeah so interestingly um so this would have been 2010, 2011, and we had read a book by Mike Breen on missional communities. Um, I'd read Hugh Halter's Tangible Kingdom. So I, I was kind of getting these images of, of more what I'd read a lot of stuff, on, you know, way back from like that emergent church stream. And then uh, what, what was like organic church kind of stuff. Like I was always looking for answers on how, how do we reach the people who will never be here, you know? And so, but it was a lot of book stuff and it was a lot of stories and cities unlike where I was, you know, like, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, you know, I'm in the middle, like I was Midwest, middle America, you know, Cleveland's a little rust belty, but so I'm like, how does this work? And so we just started, um, oh, well, so we prayed, we watched a lot, read a lot. And then we partnered up with some of the same kind of like launch large, philosophies around church planting because that's what was out there like we didn't have a lot of like mm -hmm. connection with people who were doing it this way so we we kind of used a hybrid approach of saying um gathering people uh getting good clarity around mission and vision and strategy all those things even though they were kind of taught in the launch large model they they should be able to be applied across all right and so uh i was in a cohort that was like permissive of my uh kind of like missional mindset they were like yeah that's cool that's that's good for you like we'll support that and uh so i was learning from them but trying to do it a little differently um and we gathered i mean i was working at this large church on the other side of town and i told them when we i mean I, we announced that i was going to go plant the church and we said um we want you to pray for us but we don't want you to come with us unless you live in the community where we're planting because uh, that was a, kind of a regional church. And we knew that people in the young adult ministry might follow me. And we didn't just want to, I mean, we just didn't want to have people come because they liked me or they liked my preaching or because it was the next new thing. We wanted people to live on mission. And then I would tell people at the time, and I'm a little different about it now, but at the time I said, if you don't live within five miles of where we're planting, you can't be a part of it unless you'll move into that community and we had people do it like there were people who moved like two three four suburbs over to be a part of it and then there was a lot of people who were kind of frustrated by that but we really wanted people to think of themselves as missionaries that they were going to be living on mission in this community and uh we we got a team of probably 25 to 30 adults who were in and um, probably another 10 15 kids and uh, before we launched, we like we we killed the launch team or whatever you want to call it. We started two missional communities before we ever had a public gathering so that that would be like embedded into who we were. One of the missional communities was great. And then I led the other one. It wasn't as good. And uh, that one still I mean, there were 11 years in. There's still like that, uh, like some sort of remnant from that first missional community that is still serving um, in this community, as a missional community, our worship pastors lead that group right now. And so it, it had a, a long life within our, our church. So we launched a gathering. 
and built slowly around that and um, just worked. I mean, and there's a lot to it and I could talk more about it, but worked really hard to keep the, keep the like um, things we did pretty simple. We worship together. We have our missional communities. We changed the name to micro church for a lot of reasons. And then we do discipleship huddles and that's kind of it. We, you know, we do a couple other things, but we always say, we can only do these other things if it increases the likelihood the people involved would get into our discipling relationships or discipling communities. So we have a women's ministry, but they get together like four or five times a year and try and model discipling huddles in a larger group to give people a taste to trick them into a discipleship group. You know? <laughs> so as you started, you know, money is the monkey on everybody's back. And yeah. from what you just described, you it doesn't i mean for me it just doesn't sound like you had uh huge financial worries going in because yeah usually we end up doing the launch large thing and then we end up proselyting everybody that we can get in there so that we can make budget you mm-hmm. don't seem to have had to deal with that well so we raised a bunch of money and i mean depending i guess it's all relative right, right. um I set a I set a budget for the first three years, and I learned all this from the launch large guys. But my budget was different than everybody else's. You know, um, there was a guy who launched at the same time as me, and um, about six months after they launched, a good friend of mine, he's an awesome guy. Uh, six months after they launched, their trailer was broken into, and they stole all the sound equipment. And I was like, "Bro, what are you going to do? How can we help?" He said that their sound equipment was forty thousand dollars. And I about died. Uh, like our startup cost for equipment was 10 total. That included everything we needed for kids, for sound and all stuff. And Chris and Bethany Salentis are our worship pastor still. They were with us at the beginning. Chris and I had this whole conversation about how do we do this? And like Chris would do things like, okay, I want this, this speaker system. But uh, so this is the new one. It was the last model was released two years ago. So can I find an old model? And then can I find a used version of the old model? And that's how we bought everything. Even today, we have a facility that we meet in. It's a it's in a strip mall, um, but that's how we've done everything. We try and, um, you know, if you're resourceful, you can save money. And uh, and unfortunately, I think we don't play that game as much in church planting as we should, you know? So I, I, so that's one thing is we were, we tried to stay lean, be resourceful. And the other thing was, and for better, or for worse, I always just tried to leverage my relationships with organizations uh, and exploit their, um, their, their conviction that they had, they wanted to plant churches, but never had planted churches. So I would call, like the church that planted uh, that I worked with in Indiana, I called them. I said, I remember the first conversation I had with you. You said you wanted to be a church that planted churches. That church was 10 years old and they hadn't planted anything yet. And I said, I want to be your first church planter. And he, and I said, I want to help you fulfill the thing that you told everybody before you even started your church. So, you know, I mean, there's a little guilt in him that he had never done it, but I was a church planter in part because I'd worked for him when he sure. was planting this sure. church, you know? That's, so that's real. That's legitimate. Yeah. And so they gave us over the years, that church in Indiana had probably given us, you know, they would just write a check for 10 grand every now and then, you know, uh, Rick Duncan's church over here in Cuyahoga Valley, uh, or Cuyahoga Valley church is in Cleveland. He was my boss, the Southern Baptist pastor. 
we're a United Brethren Church. So he's planted and helping giving money to a church that was outside of his denominational influence. He's got a kingdom mindset, but he he would they they supported us at the same level our denomination did. So the first year they gave us like $35,000, the second year like 25. So I just appealed to the organizational Im- influences that had, or that had influenced my life through relationship and just tried to call them to action. And so, you know, some people it was more like, yeah, we should have done this a while ago. Some people was like, we're doing this and we want to keep doing it. Um, and then I had our team who came along for the first six years, if you worked with us, you had to raise your own support um, for two or three years. And, you know, if you could raise it the first year, we would give you a little bit the second year and the third year. Um, because, you know, if you have skin in the game, it's, it's a different, different thing, you know? So describe uh, what's church look like today. You, yeah. You've been going for what, like 12 years, 13 years. Yeah. 11 and a half years. We've, we've been, um, you know, launched. So probably 12 years. 13 i can't remember anyway so we are um we have sunday gatherings so we always just kind of say our church exists in three expressions we have our worship gatherings um we have our missional communities or micro churches in our huddles right now um you know we we so if you came here on a sunday morning it's excellent we do a good job you know our worship uh leaders are incredible they're very highly gifted um, we, we try and we've all worked in mega churches in the past. So we kind of know how to do the deal. Um, we don't spend a lot of time in programming. Um, you know, we don't invest, you know, we spend a lot of time with people and investing in people, um, trying to build into the missional community, microchurch leaders, discipling leaders. We don't do a lot of like programming meetings, that kind of stuff. But if you came on a Sunday, you would go, oh, wow, you guys are doing a great job. It's very, it's hot. It, it would feel polished, you know? Um, but I, we always try and model the values of mission and discipleship through our Sunday morning because, you know, the mission, uh, the, um, what, do we, the, what do we say? The method, is, no, the, I lost my thought, but it's, uh, you know, the medium is the message. There it is. You know, my brain still works. Okay. Uh, that, you know, if you come in and we say, oh, the most important thing is mission and discipleship, but look at how awesome this is. Then you go, yeah, right, right. So we try and use our worship gathering to always be sending. You know, my friend, when I first started, talked about that Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross clip where Alec Baldwin's at the chalkboard saying, ABC, always be closing. He's like, for you, if you're going to be missional, it's always be sending. So we're always inserting mission, no matter what. We're always treating this as a commissioning at the end of a gathering. 